morning church it's so good to see you all and thank you John for reading the word and for the prayer uh, we have four uh, pericopes before us four passages for miracles of Jesus hopefully we will get enough time to cover all of those if not uh, of course we will uh, do our best the renowned artist Paul Gustave Dorr lost his passport while he was traveling in Europe. When he came to one of the border crossings, he explained his predicament to the guard and told him who he was, expecting that the guard would let him go. The guard, however, said that many people have tried that trick before, claimed to be someone else that they were not. Dorr insisted that, in fact, it was he who he claimed to be. All right, said the official, uh, we'll give you a test, and if you pass, uh, we will let you go through. Uh, handing him a pencil and a sheet of paper, uh, the guard asked the artist to uh, sketch several persons standing nearby. Dor did it so quickly and skillfully that the guard was convinced that he was indeed who he claimed to be. His work confirmed his word. As we look at these four stories, uh, what we need are four different lenses uh, to see the story. Some of us do wear glasses uh, for reading. In fact, I should be having one right now. Uh, that gives us clarity in terms of what is there. And depending on the reading lens we have, what we take away from these stories would differ. Uh, whether... Uh, these stories are looked at from the vantage point of Luke the author and Theophilus the audience or from the identity of Jesus the Son of God and his audience. Uh, and in, for four of these uh, uh, various pericopes, there were four different audiences, although disciples were there with him throughout. I think what we should do this morning is instead look at ourselves as the audience of these four pericopes and that the Lord is speaking to us. And the first story uh, we have uh, is the story of Jesus coming the storm. So the question that stands, uh, that is before us, and that we need to uh, kind of uh, come to terms with uh, in these stories is this. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Who are we talking about? Will Jesus come across loud and clear to all four different audiences? Because these people have followed Jesus for various reasons. So as we have uh, seen in the first story, uh, the disciples are with Jesus and they are on a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Mark, uh, in fact, Luke calls it it's the lake. Uh, Mark would call it as the sea. Uh, so does Matthew. If you read Mark 4, 36 to 41, the same story is there as well. Um, and this uh, story, you know, this lake is called by various names, Sea of Tiberias, Lake of uh, Gennesaret, Lake Kinneret, but all of them refer to the same place. And violent uh, storms were quite often uh, because Sea of Galilee was located about 700 uh, feet below sea level and surrounded by uh, lots of uh, mountains or hills. And, you know, out of nowhere, out of the blue, uh, storms could really develop. And so this wasn't that uncommon. Uh, on the Sea of Galilee, that violent winds could just come down and, and, and cause a lot of uh, waves and high waters. And that is kind of the setting in which Jesus and the disciples are, are going through. And Jesus uh, is sleeping uh, on the boat, uh, and the disciples are really scared for his life. I'm surprised how Jesus could sleep. Uh, when such uh, violent uh, stuff was going around him. Well, I shouldn't be surprised because some of you proved me right that you can sleep through a sermon when I preach as loud as uh, <laughs> one could preach, right? Well, it is possible, it seems. So Jesus is sleeping peacefully and the disciples' lives were in real danger. Uh, and they uh, come and wake Jesus up because there's a lot of urgency uh, they know that, you know, if Jesus doesn't come to their rescue, this is it. They are done. Uh, 
And how do we know that they were urging Jesus? Well, uh, we uh, see that meeting, uh, Master, Master, uh, like, uh, Lord, please get up. Master, teacher, please get up. Uh, don't you know that we are drowning? He expected his disciples to respond to uh, life situations a little differently. Uh, he's not really pleased uh, with the way they responded. Uh, it seems that they're responding uh, out of uh, fear for life, and they don't really recognize who uh, it is uh, with them. So Jesus' question is this in verse uh, 25a, the first part of uh, the verse. is this, Where is your faith? Where? Uh, is your faith. If indeed the disciples had known uh, who Jesus was, uh, then they would have really known that he was able to take care of their lives in the midst of a great storm and rising waters because they had done it before in their history as we read in Psalm uh, 107, 23 to 32. Uh, this is what we read in, in the book of Psalms. Some traveled on the sea in ships and carried cargo over the vast waters. They witnessed the acts of the Lord, his amazing feats on the deep water. He gave them order for a windstorm, and it stirred up the waves of the sea. They reached up to the sky, and then dropped into the depths. The sailors' strength left them because the danger was so great. They swayed and, and staggered like a drunk, and all their skill proved ineffective. They cried out to the Lord in their distress. He delivered them from their troubles. He calmed the storm, and the waves grew silent. The sailors rejoiced because the waves grew quiet, and he led them uh, to the harbor they desired. The action of Jesus should in them the idea that Jesus is indeed Yahweh. And yet, they are not coming to that conclusion here. Instead, they are full of amazement. And in fact, the text tells us that they were at one point uh, quite afraid of this person. Like, who are we dealing with? We are dealing with someone that we don't quite understand. Uh, because they say what? 25b, they say that uh, the storm uh, and the sea obey him. So who is this person? Uh, you can see that there is fear on one side and there is amazement on the other side. I guess perhaps the right attitude one should have uh, when we uh, see Jesus. Uh, there is so much that one should be afraid of because he is God incarnate. He is Yahweh himself. Uh, but the disciples are not quite grasping uh, that aspect of who Jesus is. Uh, is. Uh, and we will see that a little later as well and throughout the story uh, in the Gospels. Across the four Gospels, what we discover is this. The disciples did not really understand who Jesus was fully because they always thought Jesus to be uh, this political revolutionary who would ultimately give them peace and autonomy uh, from the Roman government. And we see that even in Acts Chapter 1, verse 6, after the resurrection, just before his ascension, Jesus is with the disciples and Jesus asks the same question. Is it at this time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? That's their question because they say, you know, we've followed you all this time thinking that you are the leader because Barabbas is in prison and we have another Messiah here. So we thought you would deliver us. So that's kind of the attitude. But once the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, they are going to change in the book of Acts. We see that they no longer have the same questions. Rather, they would be more than happy to die for the very name, uh, the very person, the very identity that they would eventually come to know. But at this point in time, the disciples are uh, a little uh, off here. And, and mind you, this is Jesus' private audience with the disciples. No one else, right? The 12 plus Jesus. That's it. No other people around to witness this. So this is Jesus' private audience with the disciples. And when we look at the disciples, these are not ordinary people. Right? These are men whom Jesus called to be with him, to learn from him, and to open up to them about himself that he often hid 
that he often did not with the large audience. So the disciples are not just ordinary people. They are people to whom the Lord had revealed so much about himself. In fact, if you read in Luke 8, verses 9 and 10, a little earlier in the story, we, uh, you know, which is what uh, Prithvi preached last week, uh, you know, the, the story of uh, the four soils, or the sovereign seed as it's commonly known as, right? Uh, what did Jesus say when they asked, what do you mean by this parable? Jesus says this, what? Uh, to you, verse 10, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So these are not ordinary people. These are people to whom the mysteries, the secrets of God's kingdom is revealed. So for that reason, these are not ordinary folks, right? Uh, by the way, the lack of understanding of the person of Christ uh, was not that usual uh, for the disciples. Not only the disciples, even the many who saw Jesus. And I think that is sometimes true of us as well, right? We don't really come to terms with the person of Christ. For example, in chapter 7, a little earlier, Luke tells us that John is sending two of his disciples to Jesus with one question. Are you the one to come or should we wait for someone else? But you remember that moment of revelation that John had the very first time he met Jesus? I think all of our kids, like Sunday school kids, sorry, I'm looking to this side. This is where usually our kids are seated, but please forgive me. I don't treat you as kids. But yes, all of our kids around today, right? You know, what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus the first time? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world, right? Momentary revelation. He saw Jesus. Bingo. Here it is. But then, a little later, things are not panning out the way he hoped it would, right? Uh, things are unraveling in a, in a different scale, not to his expectation. So he's uh, sending two of his disciples asking, are you the person or shall we wait for uh, someone else? People often followed Jesus for various reasons. It was not because they believed him to be the Son of God or the Messiah. In fact, Joby read that beginning of the text today a little earlier in John 6. We see actually three groups of people following Jesus. Right? We read, if you turn to John chapter 6, verses 20 to following, this is the story the day after of the feeding of the 5,000. There is a great crowd who is looking for Jesus. They came, they did not see Jesus, nor his disciples. So what did they do? They get into small boats that were there, and they really went across the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus. No wonder religious leaders were a little bit afraid of Jesus, right? This is this large crowd. Just imagine these people chasing Jesus on foot. I mean, right now, on boats. Just imagine that for a second, right? Here is the greatest religious leader right now. I think the religious leaders would have been very happy had they had such an audience. Perhaps their preaching uh, did not have a, a, a hall full of people like this, right? But they look at Jesus the rabbi. What does he do? Huge crowd. Not just one day. They are looking for Jesus, literally chasing him on foot. Naturally, you know, every reason for them to be anxious. But Jesus is not too impressed. If you and I think that, you know, wow, Jesus would look at the crowd. Phew, awesome. I have done such a great work. No. Jesus knew exactly why these people were there. So he says in verse 25, when they found him side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Wow, we would think. If I were Jesus, I would be super impressed, right? Jesus says, I tell you the solemn truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. Jesus knew that this crowd was there because they were there for the freebies. Buy one, get one free kind of deal, right? That is what gets us into many shops. 
or buy two, get two free. That's the deal these people were after. Because Jesus fed them, gave them free food. The day after, they love free meal. Who doesn't? Right? So then Jesus says, do not work for the food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life. The food which the Son of Man will give it to you, for God the Father has put the seal of approval on him. So then they said to him, what must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Because they just want to know what is the work of God that will get us bread. Right? That's kind of the question. Jesus replied, this is the deed. Believe in the one whom he sent. Then they are asking again, what? Verse 30. So they said to him, then what miraculous sign will you perform? What sin have they just left? The scene of a great miracle. Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And what are they asking? What sign will you show us that we may believe in you? I'll tell you, Jesus could perform as many miracles as possible and these people will still not move. Uh, I remember the story of of a Scot. Uh, we lived in Scotland for a few years, so... Uh, I feel I can speak like a Scot, not uh, that to offend those people, right? Scots uh, are kind of known to be very miserly. Uh, so they attended one of those big crusades uh, of the prosperity gospel people. Uh, so in the, um, in the U.S., large crowds, so one of the things that they do as a trick is this. You know, whoever wants to be blessed by God, whatever you have, put in the offering bag the Lord will uh, replenish it like, you know, seed faith kind of thing. You know, you sow the seed with your gold ring, your watch, your nine Ray-Ban glasses, and God will give you fivefold, right? Uh, don't, please don't give me, give me the other glass, not this one. But uh, okay, all right, uh, we get the joke, <laughs> right? And what do they do? People do, and they also have props uh, in the audience that there are, that is part of the team, the larger team, that they would first do this. So at the end of the meeting, they found a Scot electrocuted. The, the reason that people would all stand up was because they had small clickers in their hand that when the, the speaker clicks, because of slight shock on the seat, they will all have to get up. But the Scot would not budge, so he was electrocuted by the end of the meeting. So no matter how many miracles would Jesus do, people won't budge. And a little later, in the same chapter of John's Gospel, this large crowd, by the way, leaves Jesus. Then Jesus is now talking to the larger uh, group of disciples. Jesus had many disciples, by the way, by this time, not just the 12. Uh, in verse 60, John's Gospel, we read, Then many of his disciples, when they heard these things, said, This is difficult saying, who can understand? Verse 65, so Jesus added, because of this I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has allowed him to come. After this, many, pay attention, verse 66, after this, many of his disciples stopped following him. Why? Because I said, this is a hard saying. What was the hard saying that Jesus was talking about in John 6? Well, he just said, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eat of this flesh and drink of my blood will have part in me. And who does not has no part in me. And they just take offense at that. So many of Jesus' disciples would stop following him. Then there, Jesus turns to the 12. The large crowd left the scene. Many disciples now left him. Then he turns to the 12 and asks, don't you also want to leave? Then, of course, Peter, as usual, says that you have the words of eternal life. Where shall we go? This has been the case with many. That they did not often understand the person of Christ. The disciples themselves did not often understand the person of Christ. Instead of looking at Jesus as Yahweh, they are just asking this question, who is this man? Earlier uh, in the chapters of Luke's gospel, remember we saw that when Jesus raised the dead and Jesus 
performed other miracles. The crowds asked the same question, right? Who is this? There was amazement. There was wonder. There was kind of fear over uh, the crowd. The disciples are no different. They are perhaps people of their time. They do not necessarily reckon with the person of Christ. His actual true identity. They, they are just looking at what Jesus was doing instead of understanding who he is. And that is kind of what Jesus was inviting them to. On this particular day, uh, when they were in the boat, this is what Jesus was inviting them to. Look at me, understand me, who I am. Not just look at what I do for you, but come to appreciate the person that I am. What about us? Do we understand the person of Christ well? Who are we like in following Christ? Are we like the many people who followed Jesus the day after feeding of the 5,000 and left him? Or are we like the many disciples that we take offense at Jesus' teaching and at some point give up saying that Christianity is too hard to practice? Or are we like the 12 really knowing that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and he has the words of eternal life. The Lord wants us to know him more and love him better so that we can be conformed to the very image of Christ. You, are, you and I are invited to this unique relationship. May God help us to discover him more and more in our daily walk with him. Let's not be short-sighted. Let's not just look at what he can do, but understand the person of Christ. The Lord wants us to remember who he is at all times, both in our ups, literally, and in our downs, like in the boat, in the ups and in the downs. He wants us to reckon with the person of Christ. So now that is the end of the first episode uh, or the first pericope, Jesus and the disciples and Jesus calmed the storm. Church, when we see Jesus, when we hear about Jesus, when we read about Jesus in the Gospels, who do we think he is? Do we really understand the person of Christ, that he is indeed God incarnate, or are we only looking at him as to what he is able to do? The many things, just as the creator God, or, or do we know him more than that? That's a question we must ask. So the second pericope uh, takes place uh, on the south side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus and the disciples uh, finally uh, lands on the shore uh, without any uh, issues, right? They safe passage through the storm. Uh, they uh, land from, they, they were on the western side. Now they're on the southern side in the land of the uh, of Gerizines. The Gentile territory, by the way, this is the Gentile territory. So the second thing, the first thing that we, so was uh, Jesus' private audience with the disciples. The second thing we see is that uh, what Jesus is going to shoot, show through this story is the infinite value of the human soul. In the second story, what you will discover is this. Jesus is showing the infinite value of the human soul. Uh, this place is known differently by uh, you know, in different manuscripts, some call it Gatherines, uh, Gathera, same place is reference to uh, the same place. And Jesus is uh, in the Gentile territory. No fanfare. Who welcomes him? Like earlier, we saw large crowd, right? Jesus always uh, was able to pull together a large crowd because he was being very well known in the Jewish territory. But now in the Gentile territory, again, same area of Palestine, uh, with the Gentile territory, Jesus was not very well known at all. Uh, no fanfare, no big crowd. Who comes to meet him? A demoniac, a, someone who was possessed by demon. Not kind of welcome that you would expect, right? Not the fancy kind of welcome, right? He's not, he, he's not even dressed for the occasion. Forget about it. He doesn't have a dress, right? Let alone dress for the occasion to welcome Jesus into uh, the new place. So uh, Luke kind of gives a little bit of description about this person in verses 27 and 29. Uh, says that uh, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in any house but among the tombs or among the dead, the corpses. 
that were buried. Uh, verse 29, for many a time it had seen the demons had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bones and be driven by the demons into the desert. So people were trying to help him uh, with the best they could. They were trying to help him by shackling him, trying to uh, help him. But the way Jesus is going to help this man is going to change his life and change the lives of his disciples. Again, Jesus is opening up to the disciples. So it is not just to show him or show the disciples that he has power over demons. That's not the idea. The idea is not that with the cumulative effect of all that Jesus does would eventually allow these people to put their trust in Jesus. No, that's not what Jesus is after, right? It's not an awe and, and wonder kind of situation. That's not what Jesus is trying to do here. Instead, he's allowing them to appreciate the person of Christ. He is able to do much more than this. If Jesus wanted to show, of course, uh, you know, he could have. Because we read in Colossians 1.15 following that he created the entire universe. So there was nothing that Jesus should really show to the people to brag about himself. Right? He is indeed the creator of God. But for the disciples, they are learning something more about the person of Christ. Although they are often dazzled and, and amazed by what he does. Jesus' desire was that his disciples would understand him, the very person that he was. And uh, Jesus' healing of the demoniac has an allusion to Isaiah 65, 1-5. By the way, this is not a strange coincidence. You can see that the New Testament is pulling together so many allusions, references uh, in the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is indeed uh, who he is. But more so than proving what he is able to do, allowing people to see who Jesus was so that they can have a relationship with him. In Isaiah 65, one, to, uh, one following, this is what we read. I made myself available, available to those who did not ask for me. I appeared to those who did not look for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not invoke my name. I spread out my hands all day long to my rebellious people. Of course, Jesus, God is saying, saying that he revealed to the Gentiles, but as far as his nation was concerned, the people who called out to be his covenant people, he says they were rebellious people who lived in a way that is morally unacceptable and who did what they desired. These people continually and blatantly offered me as they sacrificed in their uh, sacred uh, orchards and burned incense on brick altars. They sit among the tombs and keep watch all night long. They eat pork and broth from unclean sacrificial meal uh, is in their in the pan. So you can see that what this demoniac was doing was what actually the Jewish people were doing uh, during the time of Isaiah and others, the latter prophets, because they have forgotten what God had commanded them. They had kind of cease to remain as God's people. So the disciples are also, if they knew the Old Testament, are getting a peek into the person of Christ. These people were supposed to have the scripture with them all along to understand the person of Christ. Where do we know that? In, in Luke, later on, Luke 24, 44 and 45, 44 says that then he explained to them everything written concerning him in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the book of Psalms. But verse 45 is just as critical as verse 44. 45 says, then he opened their understanding to, uh, to know the scriptures. Or then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Which scriptures at this point in time? The Old Testament text. These disciples were supposed to have known the text. Then they could immediately corroborate the identity of Jesus. That is what he was wanting to reveal to them. And with the healing of the demoniac, uh, you know, as Jesus ap approaches, uh, the, the demoniac says, what? Don't trouble me. And Jesus asks the name and he says, Legion, uh, which gives, uh, which was actually uh, um, the military uh, uh, role or office that was within the Roman military. 
the Latin word legion means thousand. So which kind of gives an idea as to what kind of trouble this poor man was under? It's not just one demon, but uh, yeah, a handful of them, right? Thousands of them are troubling this person. Uh, no wonder uh, people could not shackle this man. And as soon as the demons see Jesus, their response is going to be a little different uh, from what we see uh, the disciples' response. What do the demons say? They say that uh, they address Jesus as the Son of the Most High and asking, what to me and to you? That's kind of the literal translation uh, in, from the original language. They're asking, uh, looking at Jesus, addressing him as the Son of the Most High. The disciples haven't recognized that yet. Perhaps the demons are giving the disciples a good lesson as to the identity of the person of Christ. The disciples have been with Jesus, haven't come to terms with this. But the demons are addressing Jesus as the Son of the Most High. If you want, disciples, here is a great lesson. He is not an ordinary man. And Luke, I think, is challenging us this morning. Luke was wanting to challenge Theophilus with this identity of the person of Christ. Look at the demons recognize his identity. Do you reckon with the person of Christ? We may have heard the name Jesus so many times. You and I may have grown up in churches, homes, with scriptures, Bible being read and heard Jesus. And he has become just an ordinary person. If that has been your experience, if you have not really understood the person of Christ, I invite you to wrestle with the person of Christ. Ask this question, who is this? If you think, if I think we are smart and Jesus is nothing, demons know better. They know better. Remember, the disciples, when they saw Jesus performing the miracles, what was their response? They were afraid and they were asking, what? Who is this that the wind and the storm obey? That's it. But the demoniac, the moment he sees Jesus, they say, or the demon say, says that you are the son of the Most High God. And eventually what we see is that Jesus heals the demoniac. He releases, redeems this person from the trouble that he was causing. Uh, and the, the name, the legion, should kind of give away the idea that there was a real battle that is going on. A cosmic battle. A cosmic struggle between good and evil. Between God and the forces of evil, forces of darkness. And Jesus is that he has ultimate victory over when he drives the demons out. And they are asking, hey, can we uh, take residence in something else? This guy, two-footed guy, because he often falls, it says, right? Can we go to the four-footed ones? Perhaps they will uh, be able to stand up. Hope you don't get the joke here, uh, I guess. But, uh, right? Oftentimes this guy was falling, right? Earlier, the demoniac. Maybe because he had only two feet. Let's try the four ones. The one with four, right? They're asking, can we go to the herd of pigs? That were, These are not Jewish people, by the way. I know sometimes people mistake, how could Jews keep pigs? Well, Jesus in Gentile territory. Within the Palestine uh, area, but... There were Gentiles, if you know the uh, Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity, uh, intermarriage, how they moved people from their land and put them in Samaria and other parts. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, you will know the story, right? Uh, on the Sabbath, there were people selling. These were not Jewish people selling things, but Gentiles. So is in the gospel, right? When Jesus goes to the temple, there were money uh, exchangers, right? Money exchange, like at the airports, right? There were people selling and buying sacrificial things. These were perhaps not Jews, but Gentiles. So Gentiles, they also stayed in certain places. 
within the Trinity. Samaritan stayed in one place. Remember Jesus, uh, when we, uh, as, as uh, Blessing opened uh, the worship today, he mentioned, right, Jesus went through Samaria. Samaritans just lived in that little pocket. So they had little pockets where Gentiles lived, but the whole thing was what? Uh, the Jewish uh, place or Judea and Palestine. So this is Jesus in Gentile territory. So these were Jewish, not Jewish people, but Gentiles keeping pigs, all right? So let's take care of that. That's just a, a historical anecdote here. So Jesus is now giving permission to the, the pigs, or rather the, the demons to go into the pigs. And you can see the kind of havoc these forces can wreck. What do they do? They take these pigs and plunge them into the lake. Uh, which they just crossed, Jesus and the disciples, and they all die. When the villagers, the townspeople, hear about it, they were also afraid, just like the disciples, not really reckoning with the person of Christ, but just fear factor, that's it. They miss the person, but they look at what he could do and get afraid. But Jesus is not bringing fear here. Instead, Jesus is bringing healing. He's bringing good news to the people, but they... Fail to see is see that. But can you just think for a second that Jesus crossed that sea, took the disciples to the trouble of the storm, just looking for this one man? Can you imagine? Just looking for this one man. Jesus took so much trouble to get to Gerasenes. Because he wants to show us, show the disciples the infinite value of human soul. It can't be compared to anything material that is around. But the townspeople, when they saw the loss, they said, you know what? Jesus, please leave. Don't trouble us anymore because we don't want to incur material loss. Sometimes I wonder uh, what we do. Sometimes I think we value Material things more than people. Sometimes we value our time more than valuing other people and their needs. Sometimes we say it's so inconvenient, I can't help. But Jesus is unlike us. Not only that he came down for this one person, we read in the scripture that he, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So this is the great news, the good news of the gospel. If you have not met this Jesus, I invite you to consider him today. This is the beauty of the gospel. This man was helpless. People tried, but they couldn't. But here is Jesus, the very God himself, coming down to help this person. If you feel helpless this morning, if you know, if you think that no one knows your pain, no one understands your hurts, and no one cares about you. I want to tell you the good news of the gospel. That Jesus loves you, therefore he came down to this world. And the scripture says that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Here is a demoniac, a Gentile Jesus went after, not a Jew, because the value of the human soul is infinitely more important than anything else. More than Jesus' time, more than the trouble that the disciples had to go through, more than the loss of the material things for the neighbors. The value of a human soul is more important. You are important to God. When the people of the town heard, they said, Jesus, leave. And Jesus went looking after this one man. This is not something new of Jesus because the very purpose of his coming down was to give his own life for the sake of others. And we have a few more minutes. The next two stories I'll just breeze through. The third story that we have read, actually uh, the third one begins, so there's a fourth story in the third story. So we will spend on the fourth story within the sandwich between the 
the beginning and the end of the third story, which is uh, Jairus's daughter, who was about 12 years old. The third thing we see is this. Jesus heals the insignificant. If Jesus sought after and taught the infinite value of the human soul, the third story is that, or the fourth in the third, is that of an insignificant, a woman. Her name is not mentioned, a nameless, faceless woman. For the crowd, for Jesus, she is very precious, she is very important. Uh, so the story introduces us in verse 40. Jesus now gets back to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, people were waiting for him. There is a large crowd. And then uh, Jairus comes, the leader of the synagogue. Very important person, I guess, for all of these people, Jewish people. So I assume that Jesus, he perhaps he had also taken it for granted that Jesus would attend to him because he's an important person for the Jewish people. Of course, you help the most important people, don't you? Yeah, we all. I think that's what we are uh, fine-tuned to. We help the, the people who could help us sometimes, right? So here is the ruler of the synagogue coming and asking Jesus, can you come and help my daughter? She's very ill. She's about 12 years old. But then Luke tells us that here is a woman who has been suffering for 12 long years of uh, uh, hemorrhage. For the sake of the younger audience, I'll just blank the first. Uh, so she has been suffering. Uh, she had a, a particular kind of bleeding that was there for a long time. And, and uh, Mark tells us that she went, she, all her, she spent all her possessions on the physicians to get healing. And nothing was happening. And so what did she, what did she do? In the crowd, perhaps she was not supposed to be there, right? According to the Jewish custom and the law, uh, she couldn't be because... Bleeding was unclean, at least according to ceremonial law. And yet she is in the crowd because she knew that none of the physicians who tried to help could help her. She truly knew and had this faith, which Jesus commands her for a little later. She knew that Jesus alone could heal her today. She's a nameless, faceless person in the story. We don't know her name. Luke doesn't give us. It's irrelevant to the story. And that is the beauty of the gospel that he comes looking for the insignificant. Healing and taking care of the uh, insignificant. And then Jesus asks, who touched me? Which kind of bemuses Peter, right? He says, Lord, you're joking. You're kidding me here, right? You know, such a big crowd. Uh, like, we are like, what, in, f what, Commercial Street or Fish Market? I don't know, wherever that is. Whatever, or, or whatever that procession or cricket match. I don't know where we have a lot of people pressing against each other here in the city of Bangalore. You're probably in the food court for some of us, but wherever that may be, right? He's saying, you're kidding me. Like, you're asking who touched you? Jesus says, this is not an ordinary touch. I know many of you are touching me. Just, it's an ordinary touch. But for this person that I'm talking about, it's a special touch. She is helpless. She is broken. She is hurting. If you feel you have been turned down, if, if you're hurting and you think you cannot share the hurt with others because they might misunderstand you, I invite you to consider Jesus. He alone can understand the hurt that no one else can. Maybe you have been turned down, disappointed, right? Let down by those you trusted, looked up to. Maybe the name Father does not evoke fond memories. Maybe the name Brother or Friend does not evoke good memories for you. Maybe that brings pain. But here is Jesus looking for wanting to help you. He shows compassion. And he alone can help. And Jesus is here to help because Jesus tells the, the woman that your faith, daughter, your faith has healed you 
or in, in the original language, saved you, which means healed you. She needed some healing. Are you hurting this morning? Are you a woman that no one can help you? You think you're singing so deep that no one can help you. You said you have tried religion. It's useless. You tried Christianity. It hasn't helped you. If you are there, I invite you to consider Jesus. He is a compassionate God who understands the deepest pains and agonies of your life. And he can empathize with you. And the fourth story we see in Jesus raising Jairus' daughter back to life that all can find Jesus if they believe. No exception, no exception of to a Jew or a Gentile, male or female. Absolutely no difference. Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old, all can find Jesus. That is what we find in the fourth story. As Jesus had just finished talking to the woman, a messenger comes from Jairus' home saying that, do not trouble the rabbi because your daughter is dead. Jesus says, just believe. She is not dead. Uh, she will be healed. And Jesus gets to his home and there were professional mourners. Uh, this was a practice in the first century as well. They had professional mourners like today. We have some professional mourners in some of our c- communities, right? Uh, when there is death, there are people, that is what they get paid for. And they're there, you know, uh, crying their heart out. And Jesus says, keep quiet. It's all right. You get the payment at the end, but she's not dead. What is their response? You're kidding me? We all know, right? They laughed at Jesus. If you look at uh, the story, uh, we see that uh, uh, in verse 53, and they began making fun of him. When Jesus told the people, stop crying. She is not dead. So what does he do? He takes Peter, John, and James, and just the parents of the, of the girl, and he goes inside and shuts the door and, and say and you know asks her to wake up and she gets up. And he instructs her parents not to tell this to anyone. And he just eludes from that, just slips out of that scene. But in the Gentile territory, what do you see is this? Jesus, the demoniac, after he was healed, he said, I will in the company of your disciples. Can I go with you? Jesus says, no, you stay back here. Go and tell this to everyone in town. Right? You see Gentile mission? Because Jesus knows that the Jews have their prophets. They have Moses. And he is with them, spending most of his time there, doing miracles. Therefore, they have enough opportunities. Therefore, he perhaps told many of the, you know, often he told people not to tell others whenever he healed them. Maybe because he didn't want unnecessary trouble because uh, they were looking for him to cause him trouble. But in the Gentile territory, Jesus tells the, demo, tells the, the man now healed, go and tell your townspeople, your mission is here not to go with me. That also teaches and gives kind of preview to Peter and others who would later have hesitation to go to the Gentile territory, right? Here is your savior going and looking after. If disciples and others wanted a better name than what Jesus had, Jesus is reminding them implicitly that you are with the wrong guy. What was Jesus known for? What was Jesus known as the front of? Sinners and tax collectors. And if the disciples wanted to be different, any different from that, they are in the wrong trade. They are in the wrong company. And if disciples have a problem in going to the Gentiles, Jesus says, you don't understand the Savior. Your master went to the Gentile looking after the one. So as I conclude, I want to invite you to this joy of knowing Christ. If you are like the disciples, asking about the person and the identity of Christ, who is this? And if you only look at what Jesus uh, can do, 
and not see who he is, you and I are missing the point. It wasn't just the show of power, but personal moments of personal revelation. Jesus went after the demoniac to heal this man crossing the, the Sea of Galilee, taking the trouble. To show that human soul is infinitely valuable to God more than anything else. Infinitely more valuable than anything else. And he seeks after a Gentile. And in the healing of the woman, Jesus shows that there is no one insignificant in God's sight. He came down to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jairus' daughter, no one is, no one is excluded. Whether you are rich or poor, young or old, healthy or weak, the invitation is open to all of us. That if we consider Jesus. Let me conclude with this question. Who is Jesus to you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word. Thank you for sending your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. Lord, open our eyes that we may see for who he is. And not just look at what he can do. Because, Lord, he was not just proving himself. There was nothing that he had to really prove about himself because he is indeed God himself. But sometimes, Lord, we miss the point. Forgive us. And help us, Lord, to appreciate the person of Christ. Who was here in our midst today and who is still here in our midst as we came together to worship. Help us to sense his presence and understand his person. Uh, thank you for hearing us, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.